Good morning. Wasn't that awesome? We've been wanting to do those for a long, long time, and I just want to take a minute and say thank you to Brandon. Brandon's been working hard the last couple weeks getting those going. He's taking on that project. That's wonderful. And when we do it that way, you know it's going to happen fast and the same way, both services. Now, I am just curious. I wonder how many of you, when she started talking, looked back at Next Steps to see where she was sitting and then realized she wasn't there. I was kind of doing that first service, so... Well, today, as she mentioned, marks the last day of experiencing God here on Sunday mornings. Our groups are going to continue over the next couple weeks to wrap up. We're actually on week 11 this week. There's 12 weeks in the study. But believe it or not, next week we'll be starting into our Christmas series. Can you believe that we're already back around to Christmas time? It's hard to believe, isn't it? There's going to be some really cool things going on, some exciting things happening, and you're going to want to be here. So make sure you make plans to be here next week and be a part of that. So as we start today, I want to take a moment and kind of go back and review. And I did this a few weeks ago when I spoke. We reviewed like week by week to talk about what we've been learning. But today I want to look at it at more of a 50,000-foot view. And I want to just look through the seven realities that Henry Blackaby keeps talking about. These are kind of at the core of experiencing God, this whole study we've been doing. If you want to say them along with me, you're welcome to. Here's the diagram we've been using in our classes just to kind of remind you and keep you focused. But here's the seven realities, just kind of running through them quickly. Number one... God is always at work around you. God is always at work. He's always doing things. We just have to be paying attention to what he's doing. Number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God is always speaking. We just have to learn to listen to him. Number five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. And number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. Now, if you've already done your homework for Unit 11, this is kind of review. If not, I'm giving you a preview because this is what Blackaby does on day four of your homework for Unit 11, so you'll be getting to that. And after he goes through these seven realities, he sets it up with this statement, and I think this is going to kind of set the tone for where we want to go today. Notice that the last three realities identify your response to God's initiative. You must act on faith in him. You must make major adjustments to him, and you must obey him. When you respond to God's initiative, you come to know him intimately by experience. Living in faithful obedience to him allows you to experience his presence. This is koinonia with God. Continuing in fellowship with God does not happen by accident. This fellowship can be broken. Sometimes what seems to be a good intention can threaten fellowship with God and with Christian brothers and sisters. To guard against broken fellowship, we need to identify and understand some essentials of genuine koinonia with God. Now this idea of koinonia that he's talking about, he defines it primarily as fellowship. And where we see it defined throughout Scripture, it's sometimes fellowship, sometimes means or paints a picture of sharing in common, and sometimes a picture of communion, kind of an intimate fellowship. The first time we see it is in Acts 2, and it's where the church is coming together. And specifically the passage we see is where it talks about how they all gather together for the apostles' teaching and for the breaking of bread, for sharing of meals together. And then it paints this picture of how they shared everything they had in common. As someone had need, someone else met the need, and they shared all of their resources in order to walk together. See, this word, koinonia, is a word that represents deep, 
and meaningful relationship. It's a love that overcomes obstacles. It's grace and forgiveness. It's encouragement and accountability. True fellowship with God and with other believers. And this whole study, this experiencing God that we've been walking through, has been designed to help us experience koinonia with God and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'd say a lot of you are already experiencing that, or at least you're beginning to as you walk this journey out. But I want you to notice what Blackaby says about it. He says it won't happen by accident. It's going to take intentional effort on our part to guard against broken fellowship. And he even goes on in the rest of this unit to give four essentials of what koinonia with God looks like. What are the things that we have to protect and have to be on guard for? And I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but I want to look through those four things quickly together. The first one is this. We must love God with our total being. We must love God with our total being. From the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now I want you to notice what it says here. It says that you have to love God with all of your heart. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Other places we see this same passage in scripture, it even says, and all your strength. But everywhere you see it, it has the word all very clearly. Not just a little bit of it, not just a part of it, but all of it. You have to give everything you are to him. Nothing else is a priority in comparison. And as I was reflecting on that idea this past week, I was reminded of our memory verse from week 8. Luke 14, says, If any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's kind of a hard verse. I've got to give up everything in order to be your disciple. He's saying that God has to be so important in our lives that nothing else matters by comparison. If we're not willing to give up everything else for the sake of walking in relationship with him, then really we're missing it. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. Now Blackaby went on and he gave some specific examples of things that kind of get in the way of that and will, will cause the obstacles for us. And he talked about things that we will start to love more than God. Things like our money. Maybe we choose to spend his tithe on ourselves instead of giving it back to him. Or our material possessions. We allow things to become more important than God is in our lives. And those are two great practical examples, but I think it's a lot bigger than that. See, I would say that it could be simple little things, things like our own abilities, things like activities we're involved in, hobbies that we get involved in, our work, even our relationships, many times even good relationships. Anything that we love more than God or anything that we depend on more than God, we have to guard against anything that can become a priority or a passion that competes with our love for God. The second essential of koinonia that Blackaby talks about is that we must submit to God's sovereign rule. From John 14, 21, which was our memory verse from week four, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now this really is just building off of the first essential that he talked about because it's still all about love. Our love for God looks like obedience. It's submitting to his authority and trusting that his plan for us is what is best. To walk in koinonia with God, we have to look to him as the authority of our lives and of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and we have to be following his lead. See, I think God often chooses to speak through people. But we can't just be following a man or a woman. We have to be following after God. We have to be following Christ. If you're only following Stivey or Dave or myself or one of our other leaders here at TBA, we're in big trouble. 
And some of you know me well enough to know how true that is. But if you're just following a man, we're in trouble. We've got to be following Christ. He is the head of the church. I think Paul said it best when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. With the emphasis being on Christ and what he was doing, not on Paul, even as great of a leader as he was. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul went on to talk about how following a person rather than Christ is childish, worldly, and spiritually immature. Those aren't words that I want to be descriptive of me. I don't know about you. See, we walk together in fellowship and we depend on each other. And I would even say very clearly that God assigns leaders within the body of Christ. That's part of how the family all works together. But each of us has to be looking to Christ as our authority, not just another person. And we all must be willing to be obedient to Christ in order for TBA to be the church that God's calling us to be. The third essential of koinonia that Blackaby talks about, we must experience God in a real and a personal way. And I took this quote from him when he was talking about this. Koinonia is threatened when you allow anyone or anything to make you a spectator rather than an active participant in relationship with God. Pause right there and let that statement sink in just a second. Koinonia is threatened when you allow anyone or anything to make you a spectator, keyword, rather than an active participant in relationship with God. You must encounter God firsthand or you will become passive and apathetic. If you do not continually encounter God firsthand, your fellowship with God will grow cold. You will quit caring about God's concern for his church, his kingdom, and the lost world. In other words, your walk with Christ cannot be associative. I know way too many people who have this associative relationship with God and with the church. They love to tell people things like, well, I go to TBA because we serve in the Highland City community, or we have a homework club, or we travel to Honduras and we're walking in relationship with this community there and with this church and there's all these cool things happening, or we have small groups and people are growing because of the relationships that they have there. The only problem with those statements, as you well know, is that often when we say we, that person's not included. It's kind of like your boss coming to you and going, we need to increase our sales next month. That doesn't mean your boss is going out to find sales. It means you're going to go out and find new sales next month, and we are going to get the credit for it, right? Isn't that how it works? It's associative. Our walk with Christ has to be engaged and active. We can't just attend church. We have to be the church. We can't just show up for small group. We need to engage in small group. We need to be building relationships, encouraging one another, holding each other accountable, doing life together, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to speak the truth in love when we need to. And we can't ever allow our involvement in an activity or a program to take the place of our relationship with God. That's way too easy to let happen. Maybe some of you are even there. You're just kind of going through the motions. You've, you're still showing up for things that you've committed to, but you've lost that passion. Or you've lost the hunger. You, you've lost the excitement that you have when you experience God for the first time. You've got to re-engage. Quit being passive. Allow God to move in your heart and direct you in that real and personal way. And then the fourth essential, just quickly, is we must completely trust God. Now, we read that and we go, okay, well, this seems kind of like a no-brainer. This is easy. We would all say that we trust God completely, right? I mean, he's our foundation. He's our rock. Is he really? I mean, do we trust him when everything falls apart too or just when things are going well? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is one of our identity verses here at TBA, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's that word again. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do 
and he will show you which path to take. Trust God all the time. Trust God beyond what makes sense. Seek him and trust his plan at every turn in your journey. Or even go back to the first memory verse we had in this study, John 15, 5. You remember that one? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, completely trusting God looks like walking in full dependence on him. It's realizing that we can do nothing of value in our own strength, but it's only through his strength that we can impact this kingdom. Trust God. Don't trust another person. Trust God. Don't trust yourself more than God. Trust God. It's a concept that's simple to understand, but often hard to live out. Because our tendency is to put our trust in a person. Our tendency is to put our trust in something that we see as tangible. And we put it in another man, and we put it in ourselves because, you know, we see our situation. We know what's going on. We understand the circumstances. Obviously, I know what's best. He says, no, trust me beyond your understanding. And look to me in all situations. See, all four of these essentials that Blackaby talks about, they're important to understand. They're important to intentionally live out. Every day, we have to guard against the broken koinonia with God. And we spent these last 11 weeks, almost three months, strategically walking through an understanding of what that fellowship with God really looks like. We've been painting this picture of koinonia. So now it's time to start applying that stuff, to apply what we've learned and really live it out in that ongoing, everyday, walking in relationship with God. And I want to keep talking about this idea of koinonia, but I want to look at it from a little different perspective this morning. Because I think the truth is, even if we don't live it out perfectly, most of us understand this concept of koinonia with God. We understand what it means to have fellowship with God and to walk in right relationship with him. But I want to shift gears a little and look at koinonia from the perspective of the body, the church. How do we have this kind of fellowship with our church family, with our Christian brothers and sisters? Go back to that original definition of koinonia. Fellowship, sharing in common, or communion. This is not just a picture of hanging out together or relating on a surface level. It's a deep and meaningful relationship. It's where we put others first and care more about our brother or sister than we do ourselves. Ask yourself this. Do you have that kind of relationship with those around you? What about in your small group? What about in the ministry where you're serving? And if you're not plugged into a ministry serving somewhere or in a small group or doing one of those things, why? You're never going to experience koinonia and really see all God has for you unless you engage, unless you're walking with his people, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sitting here on Sunday morning is never going to do it for you. The church is not designed to be a building. It's not something we do. It's who we are. You and I are the body of Christ, the church. And the way we live our lives every day, all day, is the reflection of God that the world sees. Not what we do here on Sunday morning. See, I'm convinced, and Scripture's pretty clear on this, that this one thing, koinonia, within the body of Christ, will change the world, literally. Here's the problem. It can either invite people to Christ, or it can push them away, depending on how we handle this. There is no lukewarm on this. There's no in-between. It's a black and white, hot or cold kind of issue. True Christian fellowship, true communion of the body will draw the world to Christ. But broken fellowship just as much will destroy the church faster than anything else. And that broken fellowship can look like a lot of things. In fact, the things we talk about all the time, things like gossip, 
unforgiveness, pride or arrogance, lack of unity, lack of love for one another. And when you sit and you meditate on those things and you think about them, and we could list a ton more, it seems like they all run together and they're kind of the same thing. But yet they're so uniquely different. And the reason they seem so alike and so much the same is because they're all a picture of what broken fellowship is. Fellowship kind of wraps all that into one pretty bow. When we get involved in any of those things, they all have the same impact, the same effect. It's broken fellowship within the body of Christ. And consequently, it's negative impact on the world and God's kingdom. I wonder how often we stop to think about that. In John 13, Jesus made this, what I would call profound statement, starting in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We are known as disciples of Jesus Christ, as Christians, by our love. By our love specifically for one another. Our love for one another is reflected in our koinonia, in that relationship, in that fellowship. It's that fellowship, sharing in common, the communion. See, our relationships together as a church family, they matter. They matter. Everything else we do or say is pointless if we don't get along with each other or show true love to one another within the body of Christ. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says it this way. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We can't say that we have true fellowship with God if we're not walking in fellowship with our brother and sister. But it's even bigger than that. So you go back and you read the great commandment where he talks about how much we're to love God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what does he go on to say? Right after that, he says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to love others as well. But a little bit before that, just a few chapters back in the Sermon on the Mount, he also said that we're to love who? Our enemies. Not just our brothers and sisters, not just the people that we live next to, but love those who have wronged us. Love those who we don't like. Love those who we don't get along with. See, loving our brothers and sisters is easy, but he says that we have to choose to love our enemies as well. And he makes it perfectly clear over and over that we're known by the way we express our love. Love is not just a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action. And it reflects the condition of our heart. If you go back to page 231 in your homework from this week, Blackaby lists out all kinds of scriptures from 1 John. And one after another after another clearly states that we have to love our brother and sister. If we don't, then we don't truly love Christ. Now, that's a bold statement, but it's not Blackaby's statement. It's God's. It's all throughout Scripture. If we are not loving our brother and sister, then we're not truly loving Christ. Because if we love, our, if we love Christ, then we're going to model his love for us. And how did he model it for us? He died for you. He died for me. He went to the cross. He was tortured, abused, mocked, brutally murdered for you and I because he loved us. And that's how we're called to love our brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't measure up to that a lot of times. 
Because there's a lot of situations, a lot of times, where I'd much rather punch somebody in the mouth than die for them. I'm just saying. Surely none of you feel that way. It's just me. I, I, I know. Sometimes love is hard. Sometimes love is not something we want to do. But Christ modeled it for us by going to the cross and loving us so much that he died. One of the questions Black would be asked in our homework this week was this. How is your relationship with God reflected in your relationship with your brother? How is your relationship with God reflected in your relationship with your brother? I wonder if you were to ask yourself that question and really be honest in your assessment. What would the answer be? Does your love for your church family and your love for your neighbors and even your love for your enemies reflect Christ to the world? Let me ask it this way. If a coworker were, was able to watch you on hidden camera all day long and you didn't know, and they got to see every action you took and hear every word you said, how you talked about others, how you talked to others, how you interacted with people, the things that you did throughout the day, would they be drawn to Christ because of the love that's reflected in your life? Or would they push away and go, I don't want any part of that? It gets real all of a sudden then, doesn't it? In almost every wedding I do, I, I quote a part of 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard part of this passage. It's the love chapter as we know it. What's really funny is we share this in weddings constantly because it paints this great picture of love, but it really has nothing to do with marital love at all. In fact, when you look at the context of it, in chapter 12, before you get there, Paul is talking about how the body all fits together, and it's the body of Christ. He's talking about some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears, but we all are necessary for one another. We all have a specific, unique role to play. And he talks about unity within the body, and then he describes it with this great picture of what love is. And he says, this is how Christ has loved us, and we need to be loving our brothers and sisters in the same way. And I, I take that passage, and I've heard teachers do this all the time, where they take it and they go, take the word love out and put your name in its place. So instead of it saying, love is whatever, you'll say, your name is. So instead of saying, love is patient, I would say, Brian is patient. Well, I wish. Sometimes, every once in a while, maybe. But I want you to take it a step further this morning. Don't just put your name in that place. Ask yourself the question. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Am I patient? Who am I not being patient with? Who am I not showing kindness to? I'd ask you just to listen to these words I read from 1 Corinthians 13, just four verses, verses 4 through 7, and ask yourself some of those questions as you hear it. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now ask yourself the questions. Am I patient? Am I kind? Is there anyone I feel jealousy toward? 
Am I boastful or have I become prideful in any area of my life? Who have I been rude to? Am I pushing to get my way in some set of circumstances rather than putting others first? Where or to whom have I been irritable? Now surely none of you are irritable ever, right? How have I been irritable? I want to challenge you to take those four verses and spend some time with them this week. Go through, read them, ask those same questions. Doesn't matter what version of the Bible you're reading out of, it'll have all the same concepts in there and ask those things of yourself. What areas am I falling short? And how is God possibly asking me to adjust my life in these areas? Here's a really practical example of what that could look like. Adjusting our life. These are things that he might ask us to adjust to so that we're ready to be obedient when he calls to us. See, the only way that we'll ever be the church God's calling us to be is if we choose to walk in love and in true fellowship with him and with one another. And as you've heard several times, we're wrapping up this series here on Sunday mornings today. But the truth is, this is not the end of experiencing God. This is the beginning. We've taken these last three months, these, these 11 weeks to walk through all of this for the whole purpose of beginning to a new journey as a church family, of walking together in a new journey. It's a journey of love, a journey of obedience, a journey of fresh encounter with God every day for the rest of our lives, walking in relationship with him. And as we start that journey together, I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want to ask you to begin a covenant relationship here at TBA. And the covenant looks like this. If you don't know what covenant is, covenant's basically a, a contract that we see throughout Scripture. It's a very serious commitment contract where basically, usually it's life or death. It's saying, I'm either going to live up to my end of the agreement or I'm going to die giving it every effort. Okay? Real simple. But I want to ask you to covenant that you will walk in koinonia with God and with this church family, with TBA, from this day forward. And don't take this lightly because it's not a simple or small commitment. It's serious. Because that means that there are going to be a lot of times we've got to let go of our pride and we have to go to somebody and make things right that's wrong between us. It means there are going to be times we have to choose to love somebody that we don't like very much. It means there's going to be times that we have to do the hard thing in order to be obedient to what God's calling us to. And if you're willing to make that covenant today, I want to seal it by us receiving communion together as a church family. You always see covenants being sealed in some form, and I thought, what better way than to receive communion? It's Christ's covenant with us, his covenant of love and grace that shows how he modeled love and what he's calling us to. But before you come and receive communion, I want to make sure that you're serious about making this commitment. In fact, let me just be really blunt. Don't come and receive communion this morning if you're not walking in koinonia with your brothers and sisters or with God. If things aren't right, this is not the step, this is not the step for you to take. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7, says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God 
for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And then skip down to verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. It's pretty blunt. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, again, the Bible is really clear on this whole love thing. We must love one another. It's a command that we see throughout Scripture over and over and over and over and over. Our love for one another is a reflection of our love for God. So I'm going to tell you this. If you have something against your brother or sister here this morning, you need to go and make it right. Whatever that takes, reconcile, forgive, extend grace, show true love. You have been forgiven of much, and you must extend forgiveness as well. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says it like this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves, listen to this, with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. In 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul's talking about the Last Supper or communion, he tells us to examine ourselves before we receive communion, and not to partake in an unworthy manner, or we're sinning against the body and blood of Christ. See, I think we've seen clearly that if we're not walking in fellowship with our brother and sister, we're not walking in right fellowship with God. That may not be easy to hear, but it's the truth of Scripture. So let's make those things right and then share in this special time of communion with one another, sealing a covenant that says, I'm going to walk in koinonia with God and with my brothers and sisters so that we are in a place as a church that is prepared and ready and adjusted to be obedient to whatever God asks us to do to accomplish his purposes and his ways. Band, you guys go, go ahead and come up. I want to give you a couple of logistics of kind of what this looks like this morning. We've got four stations for communion here in the front, and then there's two stations in the back. The stations here in the front, I would basically ask that you just take a few moments and examine your heart. And if you come to a place where you feel like everything's right, you're walking in koinonia, your fellowship is right with God, your fellowship with your Christian brothers and sisters is right, you're loving people the way you're supposed to, then I would ask you to come and receive the elements here just when you're ready. And the way we'll do that this morning, if you've not taken communion with us before, the fancy word for it is intinction. That's really just a big word that means take the cracker, dip it in the juice, and put it in your mouth. Okay, I'm kind of a plain and simple guy, so I'm just going to tell you plain and simple how we do it. I would ask that you not drink out of the cup for all the germaphobes in the room. It'll give them a little protection and feel good, okay? Just take the cracker, dip it in the cup, and then receive the elements. But for some of you here this morning, the truth is you're sitting there and God's probably speaking to your heart because you know there's some things that aren't quite right with somebody else in your life. Your brother or sister may be your spouse. It may be a friend. 
a coworker, somebody you're in a small group with, somebody you're serving with, somebody that just kind of rubbed you the wrong way last Sunday. I mean, we're people. We're all broken. These things happen. Relationship is a struggle. It's not easy. So for some of you, maybe you need to take some time to make that right this morning. And you can do that however you need to. If you need to step out in the lobby and make a phone call to somebody, if you need to go to them, you can do that in a couple ways. There's some space in the back that you can go and talk to somebody. A little more private, you can go to them here in the crowd and talk to them. You can go over to Next Steps. Somebody be happy to talk with you or kind of walk you through some things and pray with you. Whatever you need to do. But I'm going to challenge you to make the choice to extend forgiveness, to show grace, to show love, and to make those things right so that you can walk in koinonia with your brother and sister. And I want to pause right here for just a moment because I kind of said this a while ago, but I want to reiterate it. Some of the things that break our fellowship are things like a judgmental attitude and gossip. So if you see somebody going to somebody else, this is not the time to go, oh man, look, they're all messed up. Their relationship's falling apart. They did something wrong. If that's what you're doing, you better go ask them forgiveness because you're just as bad. On the contrary, if you see somebody talking, celebrate that God's doing something amazing, that forgiveness is being extended, that relationships are being reconciled because that's what it's supposed to look like. Some of you may need to come see me at Next Steps. I've probably offended you today somehow. I'm good at that. It doesn't matter who it is or what has happened. Go and make it right. Know that you're walking in right relationships so that God can use us and do what he wants to do. And I'm going to ask you to do one last thing. If you go to somebody and you reconcile that relationship and you make things right, I'm going to ask you to take an additional step and go to one of these back two stations of communion and actually serve them communion. It doesn't have to be real complicated, just simple. Hold the basket, hold the cup.